We are in John chapter 3, so I invite you to turn there into John chapter 3. And if you remember, uh, John tells us the very reason why he, he wrote this book. In John chapter 20 and verse 31, he says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in him. That is the very reason he John, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to reveal to you and I and to them that indeed this one, Jesus Christ, is the Son of God and he came for a specific purpose. You and I, uh, you know, many of us love the promises of God and we go running there and there are little promise books out there where you and I can look at God's word. Well, uh, Dr. Arnold up in Ontario, Canada, one time, he had heard that there were like 30,000 promises in God's word and so he decided to embark on a little journey himself and studying God's word he's a professor uh, that he would go through God's word very systematically and and count them he thought 30,000 was just kind of a round number that you know shouldn't be that maybe it was a little large and so and I don't know what his criterion was for a promise of God but when he finished his study he came across, in his heart and mind, 8,817 promises of God's word. And he then figured out that 85% of them, 7,449, 39, something like that, were promises from God to us as his children, as his people, He also went on to say that one of his favorite passages was Psalm 37 because everywhere through that beautiful psalm, it's just flooded with promises of God. And I thought, as I read that, no wonder I love that psalm. It's a psalm I go running to all the time. It's a psalm I encourage other people to go running to because it reveals just how great God is and all that he has done for us. But he finally said, he said, the passage that has the greatest promise is John chapter 3 because it reveals God's amazing love. God's amazing love. And you and I have the joy of looking at John chapter 3 today. You know, it might be a familiar passage. Don't turn off your hearing aids. Don't yawn and say, I've been there before. Allow it to be something that refreshes your soul, brings peace, because surrounding you are probably people who have never heard this great truth about God's amazing love before. And we all need to be reminded and to hear this blessed truth. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the truthfulness and the wonder of it. And we thank you for this amazing chapter. We thank you for the reality of it. All the things that are shared in it. So we would ask through the power of your spirit that you would allow your word to fall fresh on our hearts and minds today. Radically changing us, radically encouraging us, giving us peace and rest in who you are, away from the chaos and the confusion of the world. 
So, Father, I'd ask for your hand of blessing during this time and that you administer to our souls as only you can. For it's in your Son's name, the very name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen. John chapter 3, verse 1. Notice what is shared with us there. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, this man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So let's pause there for just a moment. Here he is. He, he, is, a, he is a Pharisee. He is one of the esteemed rulers. That means he's educated in the Old Testament and all of those kinds of things. And he, he wants Christ to know, as, as the rabbi or as the teacher is saying, you know, some of us have been talking You've got to come from God in order to do what you are doing. Now, if you remember last week, if you happen to be here for John chapter 2, as Eric taught, you know, and taught about uh, Christ turning the water into wine and celebrating marriage and celebrating all that he is, you know, he did great miracles. And he went on to do many miracles around the, around the villages around there, uh, healing people and ministering to people and meeting people's needs. And, and a group of the Pharisees are saying, he's got to be from God. We also know there was another group of Pharisees saying, oh, we don't trust this guy. You know, he's dangerous. We've got to get rid of him some way. But some were saying this. You've got to be from God. I love the way Christ answers him. Look at verse 3. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. It wasn't, gee, thank you. It wasn't, well, I'm a little more than come from God. It wasn't any of those. I'm glad you're talking about the good things that I do as well as those who fear me. But he didn't say any of that. He he gets right to the nitty-gritty and he says, guess what, Nicodemus? You've got an issue in your personal life and I want to address that first. Now, notice how Nicodemus reels from this statement from Christ. Nicodemus, verse 4, said to him, wait a minute, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, right away he's looking at this born again and he says, this is not physically possible, so what are you talking about? So, you know, when people talk about being born again, and I have to admit the first time I heard the term in my early 20s, I thought, that doesn't make any sense at all. What are you talking about? Oh, it's the same with him. This learned man, he's just standing there going, uh, blah, blah. I can't do that. What are you talking about? In a sense, notice what Christ goes on because from this point on, Christ is going to very meticulously reveal to him what it means to be born again. Throughout sharing this truthful love and pointing out where he is and where he needs to get this amazing, truthful love. Verse 5 goes on to say this, and Jesus answered his question, Most assuredly, I say, unless a man is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, for that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. 
You know, and often there's some, some thoughts there about what does it mean to be born of water, you know? And one thing I want to share with you that is a teaching that they're saying that then salvation requires water baptism. And I'm going to stand here and tell you that's not so. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. Plus nothing, minus nothing. You and I, for uh, you know, God's word declares that we are regenerated through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's also thought that the water is the truth, the water of the word, which points us to, that the Spirit of God points us to the reality that we're sinners separated from a holy God and that we need a Savior. And all those words are true. There's a reality to that. This is the water and we need to be washed by the water of the word. That is very, very true. But if we look at it, with, I believe, within its context of what Christ is trying to say, he's saying, Nicodemus, you were born a Jew, and you are relying on that heritage, and that heritage alone, and you cannot rely on that. You must rely on this one reality which will be revealed. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am God, and I am going to do a work for you, which he will reveal in the Scripture. And so he's very gently reminding him and telling him and pointing out, your greatest need is to be born again. You cannot rely on your heritage It has to be a work of the Spirit of God as well in your life. Notice how he continues on. Do not marvel, verse 7, that I said that you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, and you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, that can be a little bit confusing as well, you know, because, but I'll just say this. Once you're born again, the Spirit of God moves us where he wills. As you and I passionately pursue Christ and God, that's what he does. The wind does blow. You know, we, we live here in Colorado, the wind blows. I want you to know, out in the eastern plains, the wind blows. It does. Uh, two weeks ago, when it was a little breezy here in town, the wind was really blowing out on the eastern plain, and three times as I was teaching, a gust of wind up to 40, 50 miles an hour hit the side of that building, and the whole building, and one of them was right during a pause, and the whole building goes, boom, 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 boom. And I, is it the rapture? You know, what's going to happen? You know, the wind blows. We don't know why. We don't know why the Spirit moves us where he does. I want you to know that when I was 20, the thought of going to church was foreign to my mind. When I was 25, things began to change a little, and now I have trusted Christ as Savior, but I'm struggling with my carnal life. So it wasn't until I'm 33 that God grips my heart and I start passionately pursuing him that so by the age of 35, I find myself now going to school, married with four children for some kind of ministry. The thought of being a pastor was, no way. I don't like talking in front of people. I still get scared today. 
the reality of it. Now, I'm an Easterner. Rocky Mountains. Denver, Colorado. No. God had a plan. And his spirit moves in a wonderful way. And that's the truth way of saying, listen, Nicodemus, you have an issue. It's a personal issue. And I want you to know what this born again is. And I want you to know what the power of the spirit of God and how the spirit of God really saves within our lives once we give by faith our heart and our life to him. Notice how it goes on. Nicodemus now is still confused and he says in verse 9, how can these things be? He's literally asking Christ, please explain this even more because I don't quite understand at this point. And Jesus answered him. It's a little bit of a rebuke. He goes, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Excuse me. He's simply saying, I want you to know, you should know these things. If you're a true student of God's word in the Old Testament, God has always been concerned about our hearts. Always. And where is your heart in relationship? You cannot rely on these traditions of men any longer. I am the Messiah and I'm here and I want to explain that to you and you should know that God is always concerned about the heart. He's concerned about my heart. He's concerned about your heart. You know, even David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, listen to these words from Psalm 51. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. And he goes, I blew it. I'm a sinner. And, and, you know, I know these sacrifices and things, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And so how my heart is involved in everything is what God desires so we have to ask ourselves today as we approach this scripture, where's our heart? Nicodemus' heart was without understanding and it was far away. And Christ is going to reveal to him these beautiful, beautiful truths. Then he goes on to give him this beautiful example. Most assuredly, I, I say to you, we speak what we know, we testify of what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. In other words, you know, through my deity, I'm sharing with you all of this, and yet you will not believe that I am the Son of God. That's what we're sharing, is what Christ is explaining to him. And in, in my mind's eye and in my imagination, I can almost see my Savior because it's night. Uh, Nicodemus didn't want to get caught talking to Jesus. How he knew where he was, I don't know, but he tracked him down. He knew where he was. And in my mind's eye, I can see my Lord and Savior putting his arm around Nicodemus to go on to explain I want to show you something from the Old Testament that you should know about and give you an illustration. That's what he's saying to him. Verse 12 says, If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how, you, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven 
but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. In other words, I am God. I am God in flesh. I am here. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is found in Numbers chapter 21, I believe. And you, if you remember, uh, if you don't know, the children of Israel have sinned. And God brings a great plague. And people are dying from the plague. It's a plague that, full of agony and everything else. Moses starts interceding for the children of Israel and saying, God, what, what can we do to stop this? And God gives him instructions to make a serpent, put it on the end of his staff, put the staff in the ground and order and bring the people and they have to look up at the serpent to stop the plague. He's saying, guess what? The Son of Man is going to be put up. He's talking about dying on the cross. Dying on the cross for you and I. The Son of God will end up on the cross. Why? Because he came to provide the way for you and I to be born again. It is there on the tree where he allows your sin and my sin to be placed in his body and he suffers the wrath of God that you and I justly deserve. Let me give you this very real illustration. I'm old enough so that I remember the USS Pueblo being captured by the North Koreans back in 1968, in January of 1968. Some of you might remember. Eighty-three men held captive, held brutally in captive, as captives. And one of the things that they chose to do to try to get these military men to sign a confession that they violated the North Korean waters was this. They had to sit in front of this confession that they wanted them to sign and sit there very rigidly. The only movement that they could make was to reach for the pen and to sign the papers of confession. And now the guy wasn't going to do that, and he sat there very rigidly. He refused to sign And at a certain hour, after hours of sitting there, a guard burst through open through the door and with the butt of his rifle began beating this man and beat him almost unconscious. The next morning, they put the same man in front of the same, and this is in front of the other men. And he has to sit there very rigidly. And again at that very hour, Another guard walks in and just brutalizes this man with his gun. A third day comes. That man is there, and he knows he will probably die this time. But just before that hour, one of his friends came out, helped him out of the chair, took him and lined him up with the rest of the men, and took his place. And sure enough, at a certain hour, a guard came in and just beat him mercilessly. Day in and day out that happened, and each time another man rose up to take the place of the one. 
Christ came to be the perfect sacrifice on your behalf and my behalf there on the tree. And that's what he wants him to see. I am the Christ, the son of the living God, the Messiah that was foretold of in the scriptures. You should know that I am coming and I have come to give my life. Then we have verse 15 and 16, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, in the 60s and 70s, uh, you know, at every football game in the end zone, you had a guy with the multicolored hair and John 3.16 sign waving, you know, and I had no clue what it meant. Yeah, and yet it is God's wonderful giving love that we see here. In the last church I pastored back east in Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, a family came to me because their stepdad uh, and uh, husband was in the hospital, and I'd never met him before, and he was in his mid-80s at the time. His name is Harvey, and he was still a practicing lawyer, prominent lawyer within Erie, and uh, he had been going through real rough times physically, and I walked in, and there he's sitting up in bed, and he's reading the New York Times, and I thought, well, Okay, New York Times, you know. And uh, the family had announced that I'd be there, and I walked in, and I go, Hi, Harvey, I'm Rich Bailey. I'm the pastor over here, and, uh, you know, your family invited me in to visit you. Not a word. Paper stayed up, and I'm standing there going, Hmm, now it doesn't want to be interrupted. What am I going to do? Uh, after about a minute, I go, do I leave? <laughs> well, I'm kind of stubborn myself, so I decided to sit down. And I sat down, and I was going to wait for him because I knew he couldn't hold the paper forever. At least I hope not. And finally, he folded it and gave me a big smile. And he says, hi, Rich. You know, Barb told me that you'd be coming in. You know, we had a bunch of small talk, you know. And then I decided to ask him, hey, have you ever heard of John 3.16? Because I... Didn't know where he was at spiritually. And, uh, you know, and I quoted it. For God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should never perish, but have everlasting life. Have you ever heard that, Harvey? He goes, yeah. Why do people not share verse 17 with it? And I kind of laughed, and I said, yeah, we're probably guilty of that. Because look at what verse 17 is, because it's that warning that is there. Uh, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now this is God's giving love. He's giving his son. He didn't show us his love. He gave it. He still gives it today. A pet peeve of mine. God never showed us his love. He gives it. He gives it abundantly. And he gave it most abundantly through his son. And notice the warning there. So I took advantage of that, and I said, well, Harvey, do you think the end of that verse, that the world through him might be saved, is all-inclusive? Meaning, because Christ came, and because he suffered and died and rose again, that everybody's saved. He looked at me puzzled, and he goes, no. You've got to believe. And so that let me know a little bit more about what Harvey understood about Scripture. 
And I want you to know that God blessed our relationship. Come to find out he had been hurt in a church years before that, stopped going to church, and soon he and his lovely wife are worshiping together in our church. And just this past summer, at the age of 99, he went home to be with the Lord, and I had the privilege of going home and doing his service. You know, God's great love. His giving love is revealed in his son and everything. And it takes that faith. And he's saying, Nicodemus, where is your faith? That's how one is born again. Verse 19 goes on. This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth, the truth of God's word, the giving of God's love, you know, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God, wanting to do things for God's glory. You know, we'll see later on that he indeed is the light of the world, and you and I will have the joy of studying that together, you know, and he is the light, and you and I need to come to him, you know, and live for him and to be revealed in him. You know, this is an exciting time to be alive as a child of the Most High God. I mean, we just heard very, very powerfully, and we sang along the reality that I am a child of God. I want you to know there's days I get discouraged, days I get down, and I have to run to the very fact that I'm a child of God. And if you and I together would gather around and reveal and realize that we are children of the Most High God, He is the creator of the universe, He has put His Spirit within us, and that He has a great plan to use you and I for His glory. It, I still pray for a revival. We live in a time where people say, Yeah, man, it's just not going to happen, you know. I won't give up on God. Now, I pray for the rapture, don't get me wrong, but, you know, God has a plan for you and I. You and I were born on purpose during this age, whether you're a millennial or whether you're a senior saint like I am, you and I have a purpose why we are here today. And the more passionately we pursue the light, how it impacts our families, how it impacts our communities, how it impacts potentially this state would be great. He needs you and I to be bathed in his grace, mercy, and love and to passionately pursue that light. And I ask you, are you a student of the Bible and you don't know this? God has a design We have a purpose. Let's get excited about being God's children. Let's rely upon being a child of God and walk forward. Notice what John the Baptist says, because not only is this a truthful love and a giving love, it becomes a praising love, a praiseworthy love. Notice what John the Baptist does. We have after these things... Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. 
Now John also was baptizing in, in Anon and Salim uh, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Now realize they're doing their ministry side by side, potentially at the same time. John's still baptizing, repent for the kingdom of God is here. I've seen him, I've baptized him. He's out teaching and preaching and, and telling you know everything about himself. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. I heard the Father in heaven saying, this is my beloved son, you know, uh, believe him in everything, you know, and, and Christ is teaching, people are gathering to him. Now notice what happens here with John's disciples. It goes on to say, for John had not been thrown in prison yet, verse 24, and there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews over purification. How do you get it? Well, now it's repentance. It's not the purification of, of a water or doing some legalistic thing within the law, some sacrifice. Purification will come only through Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. Verse 26 says, and they come, came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. It's almost like the disciples are saying, hey, nobody's coming to us, and not in droves like they used to. They're all following him now. This isn't fair. <laughs> you know? And John the Baptist has to do just a little more teaching with his disciples and letting them know, hey, this is the way it needs to be. He first start by letting them know, wait a minute, I've told you something, I've taught you something. Verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. In other words, his ministry is exactly what God wants. My ministry is exactly what God has called me to. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And he is the Christ, is what he's saying. I've been sent before him with the, with the pronouncement, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He has come, you know, and he wants people to repent. I know the term sin is something that we often avoid nowadays, but you and I have to reveal and understand the real truth. All have sinned and come short of the kingdom of God. Everybody in this room is a sinner. I, I'm sorry to break it to you, but we're all sinners, there's a reality to that. And Christ is the only one that can remove that sin so that we can walk with him. And John's saying, I'm fulfilling the purpose. He is fulfilling the purpose as the Messiah the way God intends it. Then he gives us this beautiful analogy in verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. This is a joy of doing his will in this time. He is the bridegroom. Now, how many of you know who the bride of Christ is. It's us, all true believers. We're the bride of Christ. I don't know if you get excited about 
the thought of the marriage supper of the Lamb, but I certainly do. That's going to be a wonderful, exciting time. But in the meantime, he has called you and I for a distinct purpose to live life. My calling is going to be different than your callings. Your gifts and talents from God are going to be different than mine. But yet God earnestly desires to use all of us and bring us together as members of one body for his glory and his glory alone to impact an imperfect world, a broken world, for the cause of Christ. That's why he's brought you and I together. It is, and you and I have to understand, this journey of Christianity is a pleasant, awesome journey. Listen, we get thrown curveballs. Sometimes life hurts, and I don't want to downplay that, you know, with different things that happen physically in our lives or around us. You know, I've, I've had two daughters who have lost children. Uh, my wife has had a brain thing. They, they're curveballs. They throw us for a loop. But yet in the midst of it all, God has designed to use them and us and me for his glory in the midst of the storm and allow us to have the peace of God that truly passes all understanding. I love the sign over here on the little church over here on Austin Bluffs that says, peace comes with a guide, and that guide is Christ. You know, and that's a reality, and he's saying, listen, this is good, and I'm excited to do what I do. He must increase, I must decrease. Humbly following him, doing what God has called us to. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Christ is the Son of God. He came from heaven. He put on flesh for you and I to be the sacrifice to pay the price that you and I can't. He who received his testimony has certified that God is true by you and I stepping into by faith the truth of God's word you and I put that stamp I am a child of the most high God and as his light and love shines and is revealed through us it reveals this this book is true and everything about his son is true and then we have these final words of assurance and warning that God gives us the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand verse 35 he who believes in the son has everlasting life and he who does not believe in the son shall not see life but the wrath of God abides on him this is a glorious chapter of God's amazing love it's painful truth You and I can do nothing in and of ourselves to gain heaven. You and I cannot serve God apart from him and bring any glory to him without walking in his truth. And that's what he wanted to explain to Nicodemus and that's what John wants us to know. And guess what? Being the bride of Christ is an awesome thing. It's a great journey. Don't let the cares of this world drag you down. Allow it to be something that truly motivates you to serve him in the midst of the storm. 
I became a pastor for the first time at the age of 41. I walked into our church and I was shaking in my boots, kind of like I am today, wanting to teach the truth of God's word and the love of God's word. And right down front where these two vacant seats are sat this wonderful, wonderful uh, lady who I found out was in her early 80s. And I found out that everybody calls her Grandma McGee. Grandma. And so as a 41-year-old, I started calling her Grandma. Hey, Grandma. You know, and for years, week in and week out, she'd sit right there, she'd smile, she would, she would put up with my inability to share the English language very well, as well as share the truth of God's word. Very complimentary, very kind woman. And she got 88, and she got very sick. And I began visiting her in the hospital. And it became apparent that she would not recover. And so I had planned this one day that I'm just going to share with her the joys of heaven and the truth of all that we have in Christ. And, and as I did, it didn't seem to bring peace to her heart. Matter of fact, in her eyes, I still perceived real fear, real panic. And I tried to remind her she's a child of the Most High God and things like that. And I prayed with her. And, and, uh, and yet, as she looked at me as I was getting ready to leave her bedside, that panic just haunted me in my soul. And I took a few steps and I got to the end of the bed and I stopped. I stopped dead in my tracks and I said, Grandma, I love you and I don't want to offend you, but I've got to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you truly repented of your sin and trusted Christ alone? And I'll never forget her answer. I've been waiting for somebody to ask. I couldn't wait to get back to her bedside and grab her hand and I said, I'm asking you, today would you trust Christ as your Savior? And I'm asking all of you, do you honestly know Christ as your Savior? My dad, we had a dysfunctional family, and I was the youngest of seven. I was the black sheep of the family. When I got saved, I became the bubonic plague. Nobody wanted to hear me, listen, be around me. Um, it, it was bad. My dad's English language was he couldn't put a sentence together without four-letter words. And God removed a bitterness that I had towards my dad, and I went and shared Christ with him. And at the age of 68, he trusted Christ as his Savior. And I found out after the fact, he said this, Rich, I, I always thought I was okay with God. Now, in the back of my mind, I knew if there was a God, I, there was no way I was okay with him. How could you possibly think that? And this is what he said. I always slept with a Bible under my pillow. That 
That's what he was relying on. You and I have to rely on the truth of God's son and nothing but that unless we're born again. So I'm asking, do you know Christ as your personal savior? I'm asking, if you do, are you passionately pursuing him so that the light and love of Christ is revealed in your life? Impacting your family. Impacting your church, your community. Doing at least what God's called you to do. Let's stand and pray together. Our Father and our God, I just thank you for these folks here today. Lord, one thing I know, you know our hearts. Each one of our hearts. And Father, how I pray today that if there's one here who has never trusted Christ as Savior, that in this very moment, they would trust Christ. That they would call out to the Most High God and say, Father, forgive me, I'm a sinner and I trust your son and your son alone to be my savior. And how I pray that they would come forward for prayer saying, hey, I want to trust Christ or I just trusted Christ and I want to follow him. And how I pray that if there are some here who have just been through horrific times, Lord, that they come forward just for prayer. I know it's a humbling thing to come and ask for prayer. But I know it's the greatest thing of reaching your heart. Father, my heart's cry is that nobody would leave here without being able to declare loudly and truthfully, I am a child of the Most High God. For your glory and your glory alone. For it's in your son's name I pray.